the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cap Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Just looking at the very threatening gray skies right now. Oh, man. It must be real cold over in Toronto at the moment. It's stupid cold, and we're going to get, like, an ice storm. So by the time you hear this, I might have endured, like, a weekend of no power. So uh, hi from the future, I guess. Lovely. Just the, just the thing that I've always wanted to have back in my life, losing <laughs> power due to ice storms. Meanwhile, it's like 80 degrees in Baltimore. Who even knows what's going on? Yeah, who knows? The risk of talking about the weather for too long. They're getting a blizzard warning over in Minnesota. 6 to 12 oh, inches. Nice. Oh, yeah, Jesus. in the middle of April. Happy yeah, it's April, insane. everyone. Happy April. It's like the longest, worst uh, winter ever, like in the bulk of the country. But that's why I live in California. Suckers. <laughs> So there aren't many RPGs, per se, coming out right now. I mean, I guess you could kind of call God of War an RPG-like apparatus thing. Apparatus. <laughs> people have, <laughs> people have surely been comparing it to Dark Souls enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, that, was a, that was a comparison tweet that sure happened, and uh, people kind of <laughs> ran with it. Well, a lot of people were comparing it to Dark Souls, and frankly, yeah. I didn't really see it as being very Soulsy. I saw it as kind of a third-person shooter with an axe. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what you told me before, and just looking at it myself, I, I kind of agree with you. It doesn't seem like the combat, like, not, I'm not saying it's easy, but it doesn't look like it takes nearly as much strategy and finesse as Dark Souls. Actually, the combat's really awesome in God of War, just based on what I played in the preview mm-hmm. events, um, just because there's both the empty-handed combat and then also the combat with the axe, so it, it has a really nice flow to it, and, right. and in fact, the boss battles are really great, too. I just, I don't think it has anything in common whatsoever. If anything, it feels like the ultimate realization of what I would want Melee Resident Evil 4 to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. That's a good idea. Yeah, with all the praise of, not to linger on God of War for too long, because this is an RPG podcast after all, but <clears throat> all the praise of God of War is make, like, making me all cynical. And I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be that person who just rains on everybody's parade. But if there's one thing that I really hate with a big prestige AAA release is how critics now will just fall down all over themselves with the hyperbole. Well, Mike seems to love it. But he didn't yeah, really no. call it the greatest of all time or anything like that. He just thought it was a good game. Yeah, but he didn't get on Twitter and go, imagine if Zelda had... Like, a great story, and Uncharted was putting everything into context, and Dark Souls was easily inaccessible. Like, calm down, man, yeah. okay? <laughs> Let, let's dial it back just a tad. It's a good game, and I'm glad to hear that, and I am looking forward to it, but... Shh. People are like, game of the year, oh my god, they're waving their arms. Uh, you don't see me, but I'm waving my arms, and... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look at people are doing the same dang thing with Horizon Zero Dawn this time last year. And don't get me wrong, plenty of people love Horizon Zero Dawn, but also plenty of critics didn't even put it on their top 10 list. Yeah, so that yeah. just should tell you something. Yeah, and some people are saying, well, look at Zelda. That's not, that doesn't hold up. And I'm sorry, guys, it really holds up. Yeah, um, it really holds up. I mean, all the screw all the haters of Breath of the Wild. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just for what Breath of the Wild sets out to do, it is one of the best games ever made. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I've been replaying it here and there to help my husband with a project he's working on. And uh, I'm just like, every time I, I fire it up, I just find myself getting back into it and like just exploring this, this world. And I'd love to see more of it, but I know that Nintendo's probably not going to release more DLC for it. I'm in the middle of one of the best games I've ever made right now. What's that? Bayonetta. 
<laughs> you know what? I really need to play that. I have it. I got to play it. Uh, okay, so I, I don't know if it's one of the best games ever made, but holy moly, it's an action game. It really holds up. It is so much fun. It is full of all of this energy. It's so exciting. It's, it holds up really well on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think it's a must-own on the Switch, it and its sequel. Are you, uh, are you playing one or two right now? I'm playing one at the moment. Uh, I kind of want to get through one, two before three comes out. So. Yeah, yeah, because two is supposed to be even better. Yeah, absolutely. And meanwhile, <clears throat> you are still kind of plugging away at Nino Kuni 2, but you seem to kind of be ducking out uh, after seeing at least one twist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to duck out. I am going to see it through to the end. But um, Good on you, Nadia. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It. I, someone was saying to me, like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's just a game that's trying very hard to be sweet and, and cute. And that's that's fine. And I agree. That's fine. Except it's also boring. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know if it's boring. Uh, I thought that it certainly got better later. It's a super chill RPG for the most part. Yeah, you're right. That's a good word for it. Super chill. I don't want to suggest the gameplay is boring so much as the characters. Like, they just don't give me much of a reason to care. Except for maybe Leander. I kind of like him. But, yeah, the characters aren't great. Uh, yeah. The side characters get forgotten after their major quest is they over, really which do. is really too bad. Um, and altogether, I, 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 eventually I'm going to get around to writing this article about like where Nino Kuni 2 like, just came so close to being exactly. really fantastic. And uh, not only did it not do that, it was like thoroughly mediocre. But, but so like, I feel like sometimes. I'm the lone voice in the wilderness on this one. No, you People have my like voice it. too. You have my axe. Like I, I've it comes so close sometimes. I'm like, wow, this is this is getting great. I'm enjoying this, and it's like, oh, just a fleeting oh. sound. Like you haven't even gotten to the real grindy part yet. <laughs> I've been kind of working on that with your warning. I've been like, you know, b- making sure to kind of just leave my kingdom to develop SimCity style and accumulate King's Guilders while I uh, there you go. play Radiant Historia on my 3DS. That is the correct decision, Nadia. Which is a great game. I'm really enjoying Radiant Historia, just FYI. All right. Well, since there aren't like really any RPGs coming out, and <clears throat> none really on the horizon uh, at the moment, rather than talking about the same dang RPG for the fifth time in a row, let's talk about Dragon Quest Eleven some more, Nadia. Oh, I'm always up for talking about Dragon Quest. I mean, come on. <laughs> Um, let's do a little bit of an evergreen feature. Let's dig into the list. So we are going to do the top five legendary weapons in RPG history, Nadia. Mm -hmm. It's time to break out the list because we don't have anything meaningful to talk about. But uh, legendary weapons, they're they're an important part of RPGs. I I think that with some of the major franchises, every one of them kind of has their defining weapon, right? They really do. And like Final Fantasy is probably the best example of weapons that transfer from game to game, like starting from, gosh, like the first and the second one. It just goes on and on. I I always like that about Final Fantasy, that kind of sense of continuity between the weapons. Yeah, and even in Western RPGs, stuff like the the was it the Fat Man or the yeah, the, Fat the, the one that launches the nuclear weapons yeah, in that's, that's uh, Fallout Four, for example. I mean, there are weapons that just persist from game to game that you come to know really well. The Falcon in uh, in Fire, Fire Emblem. Emblem. Yeah, though I I've always been a big fan of the Killer Edge. Uh, oh. It just because it has such a high critical rate. It's so brutal in the right hands. Oh my god! But I, as I recall, it can be quite fragile. But um, yeah. I can't remember which game had Jafar in it. I think it was might have been the first Fire Emblem that came here. And mm. I just equipped him with a brutal edge, made him an assassin, and everybody died real fast. The, 
The best thing about uh, the original Fire Emblem was the first time you meet uh, Myrmidon. I mm-hmm. think that's what they're called. And they happen to have a killing edge. Yes. And if you walk up to them, he's so fragile that you might accidentally kill him. <laughs> uh, but also, he has a high critical weapon that could kill one of your characters instantly. Yes. So you have to really like perfectly position your character and sweat out that they aren't going to murder them in one hit. Or you won't murder them by accident. Like yeah, that a, was one of the toughest things about recruiting a character in Fire Emblem, because you actually had to get close enough to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a story sequence at the time. It was just a, 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 a sequence where you could very easily end up killing the person you uh, you went to go talk to, and then you're like, again, oh, and that deflating sound. Oh. oh. Anyway, I collected the five best top legendary weapons in RPG history, and we have a list right here. We're going to count them down from five to one. I also went on Twitter and I asked for your opinion, oh. and you guys have a lot of different uh, suggestions. But, Nadia, let's start with the honorary mentions, shall we? Sure. Uh, here's here's an honorary mention for you, and I really wanted to put this on the list. The Nail Bat from Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. <laughs> Stupid Nail Bat. Uh, I'm trying to remember where you get that thing. I know that you... I can't remember if it was the Ancient Temple. I know that uh, every character in Final Fantasy VII has a kind of a joke weapon, quote-unquote, the connection. I thought murder. you got it in the temple where uh, Eris dies. Yeah, the Temple of Ancients, I think. But I remember mm-hmm. Sid would, could get a mop, and I can't remember if you get that there, too. But yeah, the Nail Bat, as I recall, you can't put Materia into it, but uh, you don't need to because it just takes off the enemy's heads. Yeah, it's very tempting because it has such high attack, but the lack of Materia is kind of a deal-breaker. Yeah, yeah. But it's a Nail Bat. It's but a- it's really great if you're going on a materialist run. Oh, it's perfect, yeah. But I don't do that kind of thing because I'm not nuts. It kind of reminds me of The Simpsons where they had a board with a nail in it. <laughs> He's got a board with a nail in it! It's very it's kind of similar to that. We have these really kick-ass weapons, but then you have a nail bat. It's like, okay, it's a nail bat with a nail in it. Okay, <laughs> it's an effective weapon, gotta say. Yeah, there's actually... Um, Final Fantasy VII also has the Organics, which uh, finally got the right translation of what they've been calling the Ogernics until that point. Mm-hmm. Also uh, speaking of which, uh, Fallout 4 has uh, baseball bats as well. Um, but one of the weapons that stands out to me from Fallout 4 is the Striker, which shoots bowling balls at enemies. <laughs> yeah, that'll take care of your problems. Yeah, well, Though, I, I always liked crafting my weapons in fallout 4 mm-hmm. and uh i would always take the oh god what was it called old faithful i think it is and it's a pistol that does two times damage to enemies with full health and if you craft oh. it properly you can turn it into a laser sniper rifle that will do absurd damage to enemies when you're in stealth wow like welcome to the future we don't have clean water but we have this laser pistol <laughs> I always I love the laser rifles in Fallout. I just immediately thought that's what I go for because if you're going to be in the future, you better have a laser weapon. May as well, especially in a radiated future. Yeah, a really strong one too. And the best thing is that they will melt enemies into ash. <laughs> wow, they're not coming back from that. Uh, here's another one, Nadia. There's a lot of people threw this one out on uh, on Twitter. The Onion Knight from Final Fantasy X, which is a legendary weapon for Lulu. Uh, all the weapons in Final Fantasy X, the legendary weapons, are pretty hard to get. Her, hers are the hardest. Do you know why, Nadia? Why is that? So there's a scene, and I forget, you haven't played Final Fantasy X, but nope. there's a sequence where you're crossing a field of thunder, right? Uh-huh. It's the Thunder Plains, I think it's called. And there's lightning coming down, 
And you got to dodge the lightning with a timed press. And I believe you got to you got to dodge the lightning a certain number of times in a row. Oh. In order to get a particular item to power up Lulu's weapon and be able to use it at its full potential. And it is very time consuming and very hard and not a lot of room for error. Yeah, it, not there wouldn't be a lot of room for error if you're talking about dodging thunderbolts. Uh, here's another one. The Sword of Kings from Earthbound. Oh. In Earth- yep, in Earthbound, this weapon, first of all, it has a very low drop rate. Yeah, I never got and it. And is one of the only weapons that can be used to power a particular character. The character in the, the karate uniform, yeah, if who, I recall he correctly. he usually does, like, um, I think he's usually unarmed, but he can arm the Sword of Kings. And, yeah, it's a, like a 1 in 255 drop. I never got it. I think it's one very specific part of the game where you can find it. Bless people who have the patience to yeah. go out and just get those drops. Because I feel like I'm going to go insane when I'm trying to get that. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Especially since, to be honest with you, it's, it's totally not necessary. Uh, defeating Gygus is not so much a, a show of strength as it is knowing like what you should do and using your brain. Yeah, absolutely. I <clears throat> In Pokemon, I would always be trying to get the lucky egg. Oh. And the way you got the lucky egg was you would get it off Chansey's. And if I recall correctly, the first time the Lucky Egg was ever introduced, you could only get the Chansey in the Safari Zone, and they were kind of hard to get. Oh, yes. And there was a very, very low drop rate for the Lucky Egg. Oh, my God. But it it raised the XP gain so much that it was practically necessary to get. And so I went crazy trying to get hold of a Lucky Egg. I can't even imagine, like, just doing the, the Safari Zone. I distinctly remember I went on vacation with my parents to like some tropical place and when it was too hot in the afternoon i would like play pokemon and i was working through the safari zone i wanted a dratini and just getting that dratini which is a normal appearance in the safari zone that drove me up the wall and you're going around here finding lucky eggs yeah and they run away too fast and it's an enormous pain well i whenever somebody would be like oh yeah i got the lucky egg in my first try i'd be like i hate you <laughs> wow those those people should go play the lottery if you got the lucky <laughs> egg on your first try go play the lottery right now and give me half please and uh, here's another Final Fantasy one, uh, the Zodiac Spear from Final Fantasy XII. Lots of kind mm. of infamous weapons from Final Fantasy. The Final Fantasy XII, you couldn't open certain chests. Right. At, because if you opened random chests, like a certain random chest that you wouldn't even know that it was a thing, you could not get the spear. So you had to know what the chests were. Yeah. <laughs> That's intuitive, I... isn't it? <laughs> uh, needless to say, I did not get the Zodiac Spear. But uh, later versions kind of removed that requirement. You could get it through other means. Oh, okay. So that's one of the fi- things they probably fixed in uh, Zodiac Age? Yes. Okay. So I didn't get it. Oh, I don't know. I think it might have been an international version, actually, that oh. they made the Zodiac Spear more accessible. But yeah, it- it's easier to get it now. <laughs> Yay. No more random chests. All right. Nadia, now for the top five weapons in RPG history, the legendary weapons. Number five... Not one you might expect, but this is one that was proposed by Mike, and that is the Ashbringer from World of Warcraft. Oh, now, I don't know anything about that one. Well, I wouldn't expect you to, because you don't play <laughs> World of Warcraft. <laughs> no, I do not, and neither do I, in point of fact. But the Ashbringer is a fairly legendary weapon in World of Warcraft lore. It was a subject of intense, intense speculation for a good chunk of its run. Mm-hmm. It had a large play place in world of warcraft's lore and the thing with the ashbringer is uh it it was one of the major focuses of the wrath of the lich king expansion right and it's just 
it's a thing it's a weapon that is carried kind of all the way through right. uh world of warcraft um there's a whole story of it being lost and corrupted and uncorrupted and it was mentioned as far back as vanilla and then there was a corrupted version that was an epic drop in the original Naxxramas and then wow. it passed through characters until Wrath of the Lich King when it was cleansed and then in Legion it was the artifact weapon for retribution paladins this is what Mike tells me wow. so that's a journey. Uh, it, it, it has quite the journey it, it's played a large role in World of Warcraft and it stands out I think because there have been many 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 legendary weapons in mm-hmm. World of Warcraft the problem is uh, once you move to the next expansion that legendary weapon isn't so good anymore <laughs> does it get outclassed by another legendary weapon ultimately yes um, uh, back in vanilla there was a weapon called the Thunder Fury and the Thunder Fury blessed blade of the wind seeker uh it was a pretty intense thing to get you had to make runs through molten core which is a really intense raid dungeon you had to do all of these things once you got all of the weapon all of the stuff that you needed to be able to get the weapon you still had to fight a boss <laughs> wow. so you needed you needed to have a raid group with you prepared to fight a large and very powerful boss when you were just trying to get the weapon and then finally at last you got it and it was a, uh, I mean, it was a prestige thing because not many people had it because it was a very difficult quest. And that's right. one of the things about World of Warcraft. When you see somebody holding one of those weapons, you go, holy crap, Ooh, you got that? But, yeah, that's, that's a prestige thing. But if you're with a, a party, like, how do you decide who gets the sword? Like, I guess you got to... <laughs> I, I think the whole thing is that, um, I, I'm not, okay, forgive me. World of Warcraft knew, but I believe that... Uh, the way that it works is that the weapon is prioritized to whoever, whomever like takes the quest or something to that effect. Right. And then you can have people who are helping. World of Warcraft fans, please tell me. It's not like... I don't think it's like other games where you can steal. I was gonna um, say, fight, fight, fight. <clears throat> there was also... There is loot prioritization in some games where you could have uh, need or greed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but... In any case, uh, they found ways to get weapons or valuable pieces of loot right. to people. And actually, if I recall correctly, the boss in question who does the drop, um, they don't drop the weapon. Oh. Like you can just once you've defeated them, I believe you can update the actual ash, uh, the actual Thunder Fury. Right. So oh, that's how you have to beat them in order to be able to do it. Right. Wow. So there you go. So it's not a matter of getting a drop, but. Suffice it to say, Thunder Fury is not useful anymore. (laughs) It's been outclassed, too. Yeah. Mike said, legendaries are generally only good for their expansion. Now you keep them around for the visual look in the wardrobe. So it all comes down to the flair, as usual. Yeah. No, absolutely. The Thunder Fury looks cool. It's a big old lightning sword. Uh, Looks kind of like the Buster Blade from... A a little bit like a Buster Blade or something like that from say oh nightmare from soul caliber it looks like right. the weapon that nightmare is using the chaos sword from soul caliber and it has a big old lightning kind of thing in the middle of it and you can hold it it's pretty cool big old anime sword basically yeah uh, the thunder fury was a really prestigious sword to have way back in the day but the ashbringer is probably the most legendary of swords yeah, yeah. in world of, of warcraft those, like, the, that like kind of that name that gets attached to it because we're being yep. like the first really big deal 
And that's the one that I kind of picked just because it has had so much impact on the game right. for a long period of time, which isn't necessarily something that you can say about an MMORPG. Right, of course. All right. Are we ready to move on to number four, Nadia? Yes. All right, number four. Here's another one that should be familiar to Dark Souls fans, and that is the Zweihander. And the Zweihander, Nadia, is a pretty badass sword. It is really notable in the original Dark Souls for being pretty, pretty overpowered. It but big. It's not easy to use. No, it wouldn't be. <laughs> Anything called a Zweihander is never easy to use. It is a big, heavy sword. But if you have high enough strength, you can wield it one-handed Holy with crap. a shield. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And when it has a big wind-up, so it's hard to mm-hmm. use, but it knocks everything over. It's pretty rad. So you can kind of be like, you've probably seen the GIFs and the videos of like those big-ass mushroom guys who can punch you across the world Like if you, let, if you stand in front of them and, and wait for them to wind up and let fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. The point of the the Zweihander is that you just knock stuff over. You stun lock them. <laughs> stun locking is a big reason to get the Zweihander. Right. Uh, and it can do even so. The characters have this thing called poise, and uh-huh. poise is a reflection of how resistant they are to being knocked over. I believe, um, and stunned. And the Zweihander like just cuts through that through, like butter. So <laughs> knocking things over. Is a great thing. It's a great advantage to have in Dark Souls. I'm just picturing and, someone like, haha, you can't touch me. And then they just fall over like a child. But more to the point, it looks cool. Yeah. It yeah. looks cool to be holding this big sword like that you got on your shoulder and then you just go whoosh. It's like, uh, again, anime, like uh, Berserk with guts. He just has that big ass sword that he wields like it's nothing. <laughs> And the invasion, if you get invaded and you run into somebody with his Vihander, good luck, because that thing has some long reach. <laughs> the long reach of Zweihander. And the Zweihander, I don't think it's quite as overpowered in later versions of Dark Souls, but it's still very good. Right. And it continues, at least in the Dark Souls 3. Um, I actually got it in Dark Souls 3. Believe it or not, do not care for it. Oh, uh, mostly because I found that it was pretty slow and right. actually fairly difficult to wield. I think you have to use a fair amount of... Sk- you have to have some skill and some sense of timing. It's yeah. not something that it's just press w- X to win. I got the sword that was like that. <laughs> Which one was that? In Dark Souls 3, there was the Dark Sword, I believe it was called. Uh-huh. And I just zeroed in on it because everybody called it OP. And it's <laughs> true. Once I... I mean, it was very fast, has good animations and everything. And once I leveled it up and everything like i was just cutting through bosses and enemies like hot knife through butter yeah uh it's not a particularly exciting sword to use it's fairly low skill but all i really cared about was enjoying dark souls 3's kind of beautiful atmosphere exactly yeah and the really interesting dungeon crawling and the great bosses and all the uncovering all the secrets so it didn't bother me that i was a kind of a no skill noob with that sword i was gonna say i mean obviously they put it in there for like you know hey we're not gonna give you an easy mode but here here's a noob sword for you <laughs> exactly well i think the dark sword got nerfed multiple times because it was so powerful <laughs> but it still uh still sounds pretty useful though that was one of the weapon that's one of the same things in the original dark swords is if or dark souls if you're a pyro pyromancer or something like that you uh that, that's considered to be pretty no skill overpowered mm-hmm. as well right <laughs> <laughs> uh for myself though like i i always go for like the uh the light 
quick swords like if i can't even if i can't get my hand on like a bow and arrow or something like that like i always go for the i, I always go for even like the dual blade option i just like being quick i don't like being bogged down so you're a bow user i am a total bow user i am so you fit right in in skyrim yeah, I, I took right to Skyrim as soon as I realized, oh, bow and arrow. Oh, I have, like, perks that make me good archer. Okay, I am decided. And then I try to play Skyrim again. I'm going to be someone else this time. No, I'm not. I'm going to be an archer. It's the problem with those bows. Either they're completely worthless, as they were in the original Dragon Age, or they're really OP. Yeah. And as they, they are, are in Skyrim. They're so OP in Skyrim. Like, I'm it's like everybody uses the bow. Just I've... sit up there. I remember killing a really powerful boss just by sitting there and sniping him with arrows until they died. Oh, I've done that so many times in Skyrim. Like, go beat Necromancer or so-and-so who's a threat upon the world. And he's, like, sitting up in the ceiling and, like, sniping him and going, Who's doing that? Who's doing that? Stop that! <laughs> <laughs> like, eats a like, bug or something. And bows are practically mandatory against in Skyrim just because of the dragons showing up. Yes. Yeah, they land, but good luck with that. Like, you need the... Yeah, they'll land, the but they take a while, and they'll, they'll stagger you, and yeah. getting close to them is kind of a pain. So better to just sit there and snipe at them until they die. Yeah, that's the way they did it in the medieval times, or so I'm told. <laughs> oh, is that how they did it? Yeah. yeah. Black arrow. I actually do like big, heavy swords, Nadia. Oh, yeah? The heavier, the better, because... When, if you land it properly, that's the best thing about this Vihander is the fact that it sends stuff flying. And that is a really satisfying feeling to have in an action game. Yeah, like you uh, you, you mentioned that you kind of switched to like the heavier blades in Monster Hunter and seemed to like enjoy the game even more when, once you did that. Actually, not really. I wouldn't call the longsword a heavy oh, weapon. Oh, right, right, longsword. Uh, that would be like the hammer. Right. Uh, the longsword is just a really cool katana. <laughs> <laughs> I still found it too slow, though. Uh, the uh, katana, well, interestingly, once you get the hang of the combos, it is not too slow at all. Right. It I just feels slow that. if you're just trying to hack and slash with it. Which I do. Yes. Uh, it requires a good deal of finesse and uh, also an understanding of how to use the invincibility frames. But right. if you really get that sword down, you it is really good. Right. Yeah, I should probably, like, spend more time on it, but I get impatient with it, and I'm like, I'm going to go back to dual blades or in my bow. Yeah, I fired up Monster Hunter just last night, and I was going to play through some more of it, but um, I didn't get around to it, I, because I still want to upgrade my armor and my weapons, yeah. but that requires more grinding. You have a lot of grinding, and have you taken on the Devil Joe yet? The Devil Joe? No, I have not. Uh, I wanted to kind of continue to upgrade my weapon my my stuff until uh, end game stuff before right. i started taking on um oh god what are they called the purple glowy versions of <laughs> enemies monsters, yeah <laughs> yes and also um the tainted ones or whatever and yeah. then also some of the post game monsters I, i'm waiting for them to introduce a new area too but It'll i digress happen. yes all right so that was the ashbringer was number five the zweihander was number four number three Nadia, this is a weapon I feel maybe near and dear to your heart. And we'll get another one in there too, but the Masamune from Chrono Trigger. Ah, yeah. The uh, totally Masamune that's totally not a Masamune because it's supposed <laughs> to be a katana. I remember people like getting on Wolsey's butt about that back in the day because, yeah, I think it's called the Grand Leon in, uh, in the Japanese version of the game. They might have even changed that back in the DS version. I can't remember. But either way, yeah, it's a pretty kick-ass broadsword. Um, so... Explain to the audience why the Masamune is such a legendary weapon. Well, for one thing, it's a very important part of the game's story. Uh, it's integral to the 
conflict between Frog and Magus, and um, you need the Massimune to beat Magus, and actually fetching the blade and fixing it, that's what gets Frog to kind of uh, get out of his depression and join you. And um, when he wields it, Frog specifically, he, if I recall correctly, he has like a, a really increased critical hit rate. And that's that's pretty handy, even though I'm not really a big frog user. That's uh, that's pretty cool for when you do use them. Yes, and then you can power it up. That's right, you power it up later in the game. It becomes like a Massimino 2 or something really creative like that. <laughs> and it's very strong in point of facts throughout most of the game. And here's the kicker for me, is the fact that you... Uh, you can't bring it back with you when you start a new game plus. So you actually right. have to, it's so good that you have to basically go and go back and get it. You yeah. want to bring a brave sword back with you when you go and start a new game plus, cause you're going to lose that Masamune. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's like, even just uh, getting him, like getting the blade, like I said, is so, it's such a big part of the story. Like you have to fight mm. the actual Masa and Mune, the actual like personification of the sword. And that's a hard battle. Masamunes, of course, are a big thing in Japanese RPGs. They've been in many of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were just talking about the katana in, uh, it was in Monster Hunter World. I mean, that's basically a Masamune, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I find it very interesting they put the Masamune into uh, Chrono Trigger uh, because, like I said, it's a broadsword. And yeah. It was, it was in, uh, I can't remember if it was in Final Fantasy IV, if they call it something else. I know if it was in six. Uh, Cyan could wield the Masamune. I don't know about five, but yeah, uh, Chrono Trigger, they decided, okay, Frog, your broadsword is now a, a katana. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no but, difference. Uh, <laughs> legendary weapon for sure. Yeah, it's, um, if not mistaken, uh, I don't know too much about the myth behind the Masamune in, in Japanese lore, but uh, the sword maker who created it went crazy. And the sword generally is not seen as a good weapon. It's generally seen as like a bloodthirsty sort of uh, weapon. In fact, I think if you wield it in uh, Castlevania Symphony of Night, Alucard will, rest- will get- have his health restored for every swipe he takes. It's also in Final Fantasy VII. I feel like it was popularized in Final Fantasy VII. Oh god, VII. that's the stupid thing that Sephiroth wields. Yes, and it was really long, and it only seemed to get longer yes. in for <laughs> later versions. It just kept on growing. Uh, the Masamune appears in Chrono Cross, uh, but it's evil. It's an yes, evil that's sword. Right. The Master Mune, I think, was what the revised version, but uh, yeah, it, it appears in Chrono Cross. It drives those who wield it insane for as long as they hold it. Yep. And... Radius comes into contact with the sword when he and Garai go to the Divine Dragon Falls and they find the Masamune. And here's the thing that's kind of, just the look of it, it looks like the, the, we've been mentioning Soul Calibur multiple times in this episode <laughs> for some reason. It looks like the kind of the sort of chaos to to the Soul Calibur. Yeah, yeah. Because in Soul Calibur, this, the actual eponymous sword is in fact uh like this sort of light it is a weapon and then you have the um then you have the masamune which is the dark you have the so the chaos blade which is the dark yeah. twisted version with the big old eye that yeah. will come and corrupt you and the sort the sort of chaos or whatever it's called soul edge that's what it's called <laughs> that's it soul caliber and soul edge duh uh soul edge corrupts 
Siegfried and turns him into Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Masamune in Chrono Cross looks like Soul Edge. Yeah, it has Okay, you can hold your emails, everybody. I remember <laughs> what it's out. called now. <laughs> All right, that was number three, Masamune. Number five was Ashbringer. Number four was Zyhander. Number two, another weapon that may be near and dear to your heart, Nadia. Erdrick's sword or the Loto's sword Loto's in Dragon Quest. Yep. So I'm just going to sit back here and I'm going to kind of let you carry this one. Uh,. There's another sword that's very story-driven, and see- seeing how Dragon Quest is one of the first RPGs to really tell a story with it, that's kind of a big deal. And the Dragon Lord, for whatever reason, keeps this sword in his basement. Uh, like you do. Yeah, like you do. And this is the only thing... You can- I've never tried to beat him without the sword, but as I understand it, it's really hard to damage him without it. Uh, people have done it, but still. Um, you have to find a sword in the Dragon Quest's castle, which is a Sorry, the Dragon Lord's Castle, which is like a, a twisted realm of like just this labyrinths everywhere, and it's all dark because, of course, it is. Uh, so you have to have like a supply of torches or magic power, and just if you're not careful when you're looking for it, you can actually wind up in an infinite loop. Because uh, there is a section in the game what? where uh, you go down a staircase and you go down a straight hallway, and you just kind of go back to the, that original staircase and keep on going and going and going. And me, being an idiot kid, I'm like, oh, I'll get there eventually, and. Of course, I, I died because the Dragon Lord's castle is full of, like, the strongest enemies in the game. Uh, but once you get it, though, it's it's pretty satisfying. And uh, you can beat the Dragon Lord and beat up his minions. And uh, I can't remember where the game appeared in Dragon Quest 2 II or 3, but it is there, of course, because it's the Loto trilogy. So it's a, it's a, it's a very d- distinctive-looking sword, too, isn't it? Like, it kind of has that, that mm. bird crest to it. And... Like I said in a previous podcast, uh, uh, when I was uh, interviewing uh, uh, Yuji Hori, someone had asked, well, why did you decide to to design uh, the sword the way you did? And he said, oh, I just told Akira Toriyama to draw something, and he did. And there's there's, <laughs> there's runes on the sword. Well, what do they mean? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty amazing. That's, pretty that's like so the essence of video games. There must be a really great story behind this item. Well, yeah. I commissioned a drawing of a sword, and I got that. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. As someone who has commissioned like people to draw pictures of her, her characters or whatever, what do you want me to look? What do you want it to look like? I don't know. <laughs> what what was in your imagination? That's good enough for me. But yeah, the sort of the sort of Erdrick though is like legendary in Japan. It is, it is yes. a cultural touchstone almost. I mean, it is the focus of an entire trilogy. Yes, it's a it's a very arc- iconic uh, image. Just that that sword by itself, and uh, especially. Uh, Erdrick's emblem, which is part of the sword, that's also part of the iconic, uh, the iconic, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> iconic? That's it. it Maybe iconic. Yes. Is it iconic? It is iconic. I think it is iconic. I think I've said iconic a lot here. <laughs> uh, and it gets worse, though, as the series, as the original trilogy progresses. Uh, in terms of power, well, the fact that I can't remember much about the sword beyond Dragon Quest One probably tells you everything. I mean, it gets kind of rusty uh, as you're getting into Dragon Quest Two and then Dragon Quest Three. Yeah, yeah, I guess it would. You're talking about a progression. Well, actually, Dragon Quest Three is just a prequel. Maybe not, but I honestly cannot remember how you get the sword in that game, or if you even do. I know you get the kit. You can have the King Sword, which is a sword you make out of like a rare mineral. But um, mm-hmm. I don't remember if that's what you use to defeat the the Zoma, the the final bad guy. So I always like a weapon. That is really powerful and really cool, but that if you, and lets you beat the final boss kind of easily. Yeah. 
because it's the climax, right? Yeah. But if you don't use it, uh, you get an interesting and fun challenge and you get that in Dragon Quest. Yeah, if uh, if people can beat the game without the sword, uh, I'm like I said, I, I can't remember off the top of my head if anyone has done it. But generally, I know that speedrunners go for the sword, so it must not be worth it to try otherwise. Like I see it, like someone chipping away one hit point at a time. Breaking rights. That would be awful. Uh, I course, also love that it's. I love that it's in his basement. Yeah, it's just in his basement. I have this sword. Why? I don't know. We'll keep it down here. He also has a, there's also Erdrich's armor, which is in a, a ruined town. It's being guarded by like a single knight. And the armor is like actually also really essential to getting the game finished because it's, they're the dragon lord is behind this really powerful barrier and the armor will protect you against the barrier. All right. We've had four. So we have the Ashbringer and we have this Vihander. We have the Masmune. We have the Erdrich sword. And then number one, Nadia. I think I know what it is. What do you think it is? I think it's the Master Sword. No, it is not the Master Sword. Because Zelda's not an RPG. I quit. I'm shutting this down right now. What is it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just it's a long-lasting argument. I mean, we we have certainly talked about Breath of the Wild plenty on this podcast. Yes, we have. But I try to avoid talking about Zelda if I can at all avoid it. Because it's not an RPG, folks. But it's Breath fun. of the Wild was literally the closest it's ever been to yeah. actually being an RPG. Maybe Zelda 2. Zelda 2 was it was was pretty close in some interesting ways. We should talk about it sometime. I mean, at least Breath of the Wild had weapons that had uh, like attack damage and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. equipment that you were carrying around on you and inventories and inventory slots and cooking and crafting. It felt Bus. like more of an RPG. But Bus and debuffs were a big part of the game too. Yes, exactly. So felt more. It felt closer to an RPG than the series has ever been. But by and large. It's not about building up your character. It's about adventures. It's an adventure <laughs> game with puzzles. You are solving puzzles, but I digress. You know, the number one weapon is Excalibur 2 from Final Fantasy 9. Okay. Nadia, do you know how you get the Excalibur 2 in Final Fantasy 9? Okay, I'm thinking, like, is this the thing that someone discovered years and years later, or... Uh, was it just obvious? I knew about it when I played it in like 2002. So that would have been like two years later. It's not a hidden, hidden secret then. But it's quite difficult to get. Yeah. So, okay. The only way to get the Excalibur 2 is to make it to the final dungeon, Memoria, go to the room Gate of Space, and you got to do it in less than 12 hours. Ooh, that's not happening. Unless, I guess you could do it if you play on the PlayStation 4 and kind of zip through all the battles. Then it's You can do it on the original PlayStation but there's no way to skip cutscenes, so you have Oof. to open your, uh, you have to open the disc cover and then close it, and that will let you skip it. <laughs> that sounds really good for your system and your disc. Either that, or you just have to know the one true path, and you have to be very fast. Wow, that's that's a hell of a challenge they put in there. Yes, and once the lich is defeated, the player must search the pillar on the right of the room to receive the sword. A message is left near the sword for Gilgamesh, written by Ankito, which reads to Brother Gil. Bro, I found the sword, like you told me, but there were two. One of them had a lame name, something two. It was a dingy old thing with flashy decorations, something you'd probably like. So I went with Excalibur. I'll be back after I find the tin armor. Wow. that, that I could see it. Yeah, I could see that being a Gilgamesh thing. But of course, the Excalibur and the Excalibur, like one of the big in-jokes of yeah. Final Fantasy, yeah. right? I mean... 
because you have the Excalibur, which is this uber powerful weapon in so many different Final Fantasies. I believe it's the best weapon, uh, along with Save the Queen in Final Fantasy Tactics, because the Excalibur, if I recall correctly, gives you auto haste. Yeah. Oh well, that that'll break the game in two seconds fast. But uh, yeah, and it's so extremely it's, strong. Uh, I think it's in Final Fantasy IV as well. Is we call it, the original SNES game, I think, called the Crystal Sword, but it is the Excalibur, which has a holy uh, element, which is really really useful against most monsters in Final Fantasy IV. Yes, but the Excalibur does one damage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And Gilgamesh loves him the Gil- the Excalibur so. Uh, I, I picked the Excalibur too, uh, not just because it is one of the defining weapons of Final Fantasy, but I mean, how crazy it is to get. You basically had yeah. to be a speedrunner before speedrunning was even a thing. Yeah, that was. I wonder who originally found that secret, because that's a hell of a secret to find. Somebody who finished the game and was trying to get through it as fast as humanly possible and just happened to find it. Wow. Uh, I'm sure. Imagine, imagine being that person, like, what the hell just happened? Though it may have been in strategy guides. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, that the like the developers probably put it in there and were like, "Yeah, do you want to get the super duper secret sword? Well, good luck." <laughs> I can tell you that I've never gotten the Excalibur two. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I I obviously didn't get it when I was playing. I did everything in that game. Getting the Excalibur two was not one of those things. It's funny how they hand you this this sword right at the end of the game too. Here's the craziest thing about the Excalibur to Nadia. It's not even for the game's main character. Who's it for? It is, in fact, for Steiner. Oh, I'm sure he enjoys that. Yes. So, getting the Excalibur 2, uh, and let's be honest, if you get the Excalibur 2, uh, you are, you already know Final Fantasy IX so well yes. that you're just dunking. It's, it's just <laughs> a, I did it. I did this thing. I was able to get it. Achievements before achievements. Yes, exactly. So... Excalibur 2, just in terms of the legacy that it has had on an impact that it has had on the series over the years, uh, the fact that it is really a tremendous in-joke for Final Fantasy. Yeah. And it's kind of the height of the crazy stuff that you have to do. Like, Final Fantasy is famous for the crazy stuff that you have to do to be able to get the swords, but I, I think Excalibur 2 tops it all out. Oh, it definitely does. I'm trying to think of another good example of a Final Fantasy game making you jump through hoops to get a, a good sword. Oh, I mean, we were just talking about the Zodiac Spear. Oh, yeah. that was a <laughs> And the Onion Knight uh, in Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XII. I mean... I mean, or even go back to the Ultima Weapon. Not Ultima Weapon. The best sword that Cloud could get, the Omni, whatever the, 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 whatever the sword that unlocked Omni Slash in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Omni Slash, I think, was a, a limit break, but I can't remember what his best sword was. Uh, I do know, uh, I'd me- I mentioned the Organics earlier in the show. Uh, it might have been that, and that was, a, that was a rough sword to get because he had to like, find a sunken ship and uh, mm-hmm. fight through like, really crazy enemies. Final Fantasy Nine or Final Fantasy VIII, the best weapon, one of the best weapons is Lionheart. Mm-hmm. which is a sword that unlocks Squall's ultimate limit break, Lionheart. And if I recall correctly, forgive me, uh, I might be wrong, you have to go down and do like uh, a side quest where you ultimately beat Ultima Weapon. And I think that's how you get Lionheart. But I could be wrong. Um, there, There is a way to get it. It's a cool weapon, though. Cool name, I gotta yeah. say. Lionheart, that's uh, 
I have to. Admit oh no, that. you got a craft Lionheart. I'm an idiot. You you had to craft Lionheart by getting like tons of stuff of from a, a weapons magazine. So, uh, but it may be that some of the one of the things you have to get is from Ultima Weapon. Please yeah. correct me, people. I know that you are just like waiting, itching to correct me. <laughs> They're already typing. You've already sent me the Soul Edge email. Now you're waiting to send me the Lionheart email. I know that in uh, Final Fantasy VI, you had to make a choice between the ultimate sword or uh, the ultimate uh, magicite. Mm. I went with the sword. You went with the sword? Yeah, like an idiot. Does that make you an idiot? Well, Ultima is the most, uh, is the best spell in the game. And uh, yeah, it's pretty easy. Like anyone can learn it if you have the magicite. And uh, if you have the sword, I think. Well, the sword, the sword's not bad, though, because you can, it casts Flare randomly, and you can upgrade it to cast, uh, to cast Holy, and that's if you upgrade it to save the queen, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Yes, I remember that now, where I remember being told, it's like, either you can get the best Magicite or the best weapon, and it was strongly suggested that you get the best Magicite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although you do have that, if you do want to upgrade the sword, there's that, like, side quest about the queen who wanted to bone that Esper, so that was entertaining. Indeed. All right, Nadia, to recap, top five legendary weapons in RPG history. Number five is the Ashbringer from World of Warcraft, legendary sword that kind of dominated the lore through a long period of time. This Vihander in Dark Souls acknowledged as one of the best weapons to get and just kind of badass all around. Uh-huh. Erdrick's sword, a franchise-defining weapon that defined a, a good chunk of the first three games. And the Masamune in Chrono Trigger, that's number three, which, of course, you can power up and is a subject of a large quest. It's probably the most famous weapon coming out of Chrono Trigger. Yeah, definitely. And plus, it looks just kind of cool being wielded by Frog. And funnily enough, it's actually a broadsword, not a Masamune, but we digress. And number one is the Excalibur 2, which is just, it's insane and hard to get. It ties heavily into the Final Fantasy's lore. And it is, uh, I mean, it has a great in-joke. Yeah. So. <laughs> Did we miss one? You know that I missed one. Do you think the nail bat should be number one? Drop us a line in the comments and the show notes. You can find them on the website or send me a tweet at the underscore catbot or bug Nadia. She's or, at Nadia Oxford. Yeah, you can bug me. And I just want to give a, a shout out to Bowser's Chain Chomp in Super Mario RPG because that was great. Okay, Nadia, I posed this question to people on the Twitter machine. What do they think is the best unique... What are their favorite unique legendary secret weapons? And at BuffGuyTom says, the YCS-186 in New Vegas. Do you know what YCS means, Nadia? Yes, you can. No. Yes. Yes, you can. (laughs) You can do it, Nadia. No, it's your console sucks. (laughs) It's a reference to uh, something awful. That's right. I'm like, I know I've heard that acronym somewhere. That's great. <laughs> Which is a Goss rifle, a special Goss rifle from Fallout New Vegas. Uh, GG Jofus says, Lazy Shell from Mario RPG. And this was a good one, and I almost oh, put wow. it in here. Are you familiar with this one, Nadia? If I'm not mistaken, was that the big-ass shell that you just kicked at enemies? It was Mario's best weapon. It was his ultimate weapon. And right. you had to get fertilizer and a seed, and you had to plant it and grow it and you had to make sure you didn't lose them and then you would get the sword uh the lazy shell sorry and if you do 
it at just the right time with the timing, you do like absurdly more yeah. damage. Yeah, I remember it. Andre Seegers, who runs Game Explain, and I'm a big fan of Game Explain. Hi, Shout out there. Uh, Sword of Kings and Earthbound. We already mentioned we it. We already mentioned that thing. Uh, if you got it, good for you. I, I applaud you. But then again, your Game Explain, you're, you're all about completion and, and stuff like that. So yeah, you probably got it. Damn thing can take hours to get if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Uh, David Shepard says, Shadow Hearts 2, the wrestler character, Jochim Valentine, had a wet submarine as his ultimate weapon. It was about the size of a 2x4, and he hit people with it. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever works. And David Shepard says, uh, oh, sorry. Warm Lettuce, at Warm Lettuce, uh, highlights the Zodiac Spear, which Mm -hmm. we already mentioned it. Pretty infamous, because it requires you to do something completely contrary to what you would expect to do in RPGs. But also the Brynhildr in Ogre Battle, SNES, and it ties to the alignment system and effect on the game's endings. Oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, Jason Wilson says, uh, hello, Jason. He's the E, I believe he's the managing over over at VentureBeat. Yeah. Sorry, GamesBeat. He says, Flail of Ages from Baldur's Gate 2. And uh, Billy Bill Berg at WebJur 1981 says, is that the one you had to build, find in the keep? That becomes your stronghold, and Jason says, yes! <laughs> so job. that's the one. Uh, Punished Tim has a whole bunch of them. Uh, he, or this individual lists uh, Rainbow Sword from Chrono Trigger. That's a good one. Yes, the Chrono Rainbow Sword is, I believe, uh, the Chrono's ultimate weapon that you get from the side quest. It's his ultimate weapon, plus when he does it, he does a lot of critical attacks with it, and when he does it, you can see he leaves a rainbow trail. I thought that was a really neat detail. That is a really neat detail. Uh, the Chicken Knife from Final Fantasy V. <laughs> nice. The Otma Weapon from Final Fantasy VI. That's a good one. Another shout out to the Sword of Kings and Earthbound, the Lazy Shell, and they mention the Master Sword from Breath of the Wild. There we go. See? You know, and you know what? Getting the Master Sword in Breath of the Wild, I don't care if it's not an RPG or not, I'm saying this, it's a very, very sort of, uh, almost, a, almost a stressful quest because you, you have to pull the Master Sword out of its pedestal, but you need to have enough life to do it. And as you do it, like, you can see and feel your life depleting and your heartbeat gets kind of faster and faster. And even though you can't die, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. It is an uncomfortable feeling, right? Yeah. Uh, you feel like you can, it, it feels like a big deal to pull it out of the Yeah, it the really thing. is. I mean, pulling the Master Sword is always a big deal, but, like, it, they make it a really life More so thing. than ever. Yeah. They've always made the, just getting the Master Sword is always such a big epic moment, going back to Link to the Past. I still love getting it in Link to the Past, just like when you have the fog and it clears and you get like, like mm. you know, epic music that still plays from game to game. The first time I ever saw it, my friend, I got to that point, my friend said, like, made me sit in the perfect position, made sure that I had cleared my throat, done everything I needed to do, <laughs> turned off the lights, just to make sure that I was like, okay, are you ready? Here we go. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was that big of a deal. <laughs> it, it is a big deal. So bravo to her for making you go through the proper procedure. At Wild Vulture. I never got it, but the Excalibur 2 from FF9. I remember everything, everyone in Woodshop class talking about it, debating uh, whether it was even real or not for like a full semester. Finally, my buddy Diego actually got it. He had to open his PS1 disc tray to skip cinemas to make 12 hours. Wow. Ah, the 90s. Electric Burgers, getting Glenn a second sword from a different dimension so he can two-hand it in Chrono Cross related the full power of Masamune in Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Uh, Bill Berg. Um, their favorite is Illumina in Final Fantasy III SNES, so FF6. Betting yeah. Ragnarok to get it out of the Dragon's Neck Coliseum always felt meaningful to me. Yeah. Good times. And Casey Curran says the M920 Kane from Mass Effect 2, if that counts. Uh, I don't know if this is the one, but in Mass Effect 2, there was also one that caught, made a black hole, which was kind of cool. Oh, that'll do it. That'll fix your problems. Uh, we've got one from a Western RPG. Stephen Bilyeu at SBBLU says the Silver Sword of Gith from Neverwinter Nights 2. It features prominently in both the original campaign and its expansion. Also, it's broken. And you can make the shards fly at people. So that's awesome. And at Sean and Game says the Celestial Fury and Crom Fair from Baldur's Gate 2. Celestial Fury is one of the most OP weapons in uh, Baldur's Gate 2. Nice. And at Sean on Games says also says Mark Three Flamethrower from Valkyria Chronicles. And they include a GIF. <laughs> and it's uh oh, it's uh Rosie kind of doing a chef's kiss. <laughs> and it doubles as a flamethrower, right? Yes, uh frequent competitor or co- frequent contributor Steve Steve Tramer says Rainbow Sword and Chrono Trigger not that unique, but it triggers the game's awesome critical hit sound constantly. Yes, it's a very satisfying sound, isn't it? Very metallic. Yes. Den Freeze at Labville says, The Frozen Tuna in Dark Cloud 2. Not that unique in the game, but certainly unique amongst games. Did he say Frozen Tuna? Is that what I heard? That is a thing, apparently, in Dark Cloud 2. Well, if it's solid enough, I don't see why I can't do good damage. At Zephmex says, The Island King, what other game but Dark Cloud 2 gives you a tiki mask with a pinwheel tip and a palm tree hilt as the ultimate sword? <laughs> uh, at Gunslinger 19 says, Does the Moonlight gra- Greatsword from Souls count? Because if it does, then that's that for sure. And then there was a long conversation about how you can get the Sword of Kings from Earthbound. So, oh. uh, but Wait a lot and have patience like <laughs> yeah exactly but if you have more examples of great weapons uh in rpg history send me a tweet at the underscore cat bot or uh you know leave a note on our show notes normally i would ask you to send us an email but our email attached to the show is down right now oh i didn't just actually kind of annoying so so yeah leave us a note on our show notes you can find those on usgamer.net but Axel Bloodgod is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. I've already said my Twitter account handle a whole bunch of times, but Nadia's at Nadia Oxford, so you should go and follow her because she's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not once in a while. My mom's yes, once in a while. I, I let you keep coming on this podcast. Yeah, if, I, if I'm still showing up, then you know I'm cool in cat's eyes. Can't believe I haven't been overthrown yet by you and Anthony Agnello. <laughs> I'm too lazy. Uh, as always, we talk about RPGs and all of the different things. And if you enjoy it, please leave us a review. And a quick shout out, by the way, to the Talking Simpsons folks. I was just on their show again. Hey. We talked about Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and we talked about Futurama. So I'm going to be in a few, couple episodes. They have a successful p- Patreon. Bob Mackie's been on the show before. Give them some money because they're yes. doing really great work. And, of course, go on the site. Nadia, you got... Well, we we have a couple of RPG related features up this week. Yeah. I wrote a, a thing about Dragon Quest Eleven, um, and the urgency it is facing in bridging the generation gap after talking to the developers and ha- listening to them talk about that for quite a while. 
Uh, that seemed to spur a lot of conversation mm-hmm. among all of the developers or among all of our audience. And Nadia, you look back on Persona 5. Yes, I did. Uh, it's been a year since uh, Persona 5 came out to North America, and I can hardly believe it. Yeah, I know. I mean, it feels like a million years ago, and people are still arguing about its localization. Uh, oh, God, are they ever. Um, it's not as good as Persona 4's, but it's serviceable. That's <laughs> serviceable. We're, we're down to serviceable, folks. Serviceable is a, is a thing, but no, it should have been better. I think the most pathetic thing is uh, the first thing you had to get out of Final Dragon Quest Eleven is whether or not it's been censored. Yeah. <laughs> I saw this news story, and I rolled my eyes so hard that they almost fell out of my head. Yeah, um, Dragon Quest has never been one for massive censorship in the West. There's not a lot to censor. Uh, beyond some loose no. jokes, but even those are usually harmless. This isn't a game where you invite a girl into your room and you play with her boobs as part of a mini game. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said it isn't, or it is. Yeah, this game isn't Pokemon. Oh, <laughs> sorry, what the I was hell just Pokemon thinking. Pokemon have you been playing? In Pokemon, there's a petting mini game where you can just pet the Pokemon, but okay. uh, you can pet them anywhere you want. Oh, it gets a little awkward at times, oh. and they they really enjoy it. Oh. They really, really, really enjoy it. Yeah, that's right. And there's certain Pokemon that are, are very favored by by some people. So yeah, okay, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, and Fire, and Fire Emblem, the the bit that everybody oh, got right. mad about that got cut off oh, was that you were basically treating your characters like sex dolls. <laughs> I totally like this is that. the character that I choose to date, and they're just gonna stand there while I pet them yeah, like that, a body pillow. Weird. Okay, I'm going to go up to my husband without context and start slapping him on the face. Like, I'm just patting him on the face. He's going to be like, what the hell are you even doing? Just put your hand on their face, and then That's how the little hearts will start going, ooh, ooh. <laughs> heart, 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 heart. No, he'll be like, what the hell? Get out of here. All right, so go check out our stuff about Dragon Quest XI Persona 5 and all of the other great content over on usgamer.net. Until then, we'll be back, as always, uh, every Monday. And until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. We'll be back, and until then, happy adventuring. <laughs>